0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, today it is my great pleasure to welcome Haley Katzman to the show. Welcome, Haley.
1: Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having me.
0: Haley is the Vice President of Revenue Strategy at Highspot, and I'm sure folks know who Highspot is, but just in case you've been living under a rock, they are a sales enablement platform that brings together content, training, coaching, and analysis. We're not going to talk so much about Highspot, but one of Haley's responsibilities, in addition to running ops and analytics and account development, is that she actually and her team are responsible for enablement at Highspot. So I thought no better person to talk to about high spot on high spot, basically, like, what's it like to run enablement at an enablement company? We'll get into some other topics also. But first, I love to get to know our guests by talking about things that I geek out on. And uh, Haley wanted to geek out a little bit on books. So what have you been reading lately?
1: Um, Yeah, I've been reading a lot of different things. Um, One of the ones that um, I just finished up actually for, I think, is either a second or a third time um, is actually Peak. It is really about kind of the art and sales and how you can leverage analytics and insights in, in the sales process. And they kind of bring together the sports world, the science world, the business world together. And um, I just, I'll probably read it again sometime soon, but I would, I would definitely recommend that one.
0: Uh, what's maybe one big, if there is a big actionable takeaway from that book that you can apply in, in your daily life, what, what's one of the takeaways?
1: I would say that the big thing, it's kind of in the area of coaching. So I would say that it kind of makes you think in a different way about how you can acquire new abilities. And I think that a lot of times in sales, people either think like you have it or you don't. And it takes a more scientific approach into developing those new abilities and acquiring them. I really, really like that element because i'm I'm particularly passionate about coaching as it relates to sales enablement training in, in all areas. It's important for us to talk about that more so that people that don't necessarily have those skills yet today know that there is a path to getting there um, but it takes hard work.
0: I, I think that's almost unintentionally a natural transition into you know into into sales enablement. you know as you think about the things that have been most impactful f- for you on Sort of high spot on a high spot running an effective enablement program. What are the things that are most critical to you?
1: You know, it's been interesting. I've been at high spot for, you know, almost seven years now and really been able to see the enablement space evolve. And what's been, you know, quite frankly, just fun about it is that as we, you know, develop our product, we've actually been developing our enablement strategy internally. And so it's kind of this playground where we get to try and test out new things, which has been, which has been really fun. And I think recently some of the, um, things that we've been doing to make us really successful are oriented around this notion of behavioral change and gathering insights around behavior change. And it sounds kind of like simple and weird, but what we've done for for me at the leadership level, I really orient our leaders around a set of key initiatives and have like ruthless prioritization around what are the growth levers that we have for a business and what do we actually want our reps to go and do now the thing that I see a lot of companies kind of miss, and honestly, w- what we missed you know a couple of years ago is we didn't get concrete and specific enough around what behavior we were actually trying to drive for the different teams that are going and executing that initiative and making sure that they have the resources that they need and that the managers are well equipped and that the managers are enabled. I could kind of go on in that area for quite some time, but that the managers are enabled to coach to that behavior. And then, of course, that you're able to gather that feedback loop that you mentioned and gather the insights into what's working and what's not working. And for us, ultimately, it's become, you know, kind of a strategic competitive advantage because we can iterate on that growth lever, that initiative at a faster rate by understanding, you know, what's working and what's not working.
0: I guess to make it more concrete, what's an initiative that you rolled out where the behavioral skills element was a major facet?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, um, so there's a couple of them, but one thing for us and actually a lot of companies that we work with is, you know, the shift from selling one product to selling like a suite of solutions. So um, an example for us is our platform around having a unified platform. We've basically launched three products in one. And so we had to take our entire organization from selling a single product um, which is you know, kind of flat in nature from everything from the way that you talk to the customer, to the process, to the way that our systems are built out, to then saying, okay, how do you now shift to being able to have a more executive level conversation? And how do you really anchor around value and around the solution as opposed to just a product? That all sounds you know, fine and dandy. And a lot of companies say that they're doing something similar. But what we had to get really crisp and clear around is for each of the teams... You know, account development, account executives, account managers. What specific behavior do we want them to do? I always, you know, when I was enabling the teams, I use kind of the purple sock methodology. I'm like, before they're not selling the purple sock. After you want them doing that. It doesn't matter what it is. What's the behavior that they're not doing today that you want them to be doing tomorrow? And you got to write that down. And you got to anchor the entire company around trying to help them drive that behavior. Otherwise, you're just putting so much work on on your reps. So as an example. For one of the behaviors for us for unified platform for our account executives one of the things that we wanted them to be able to do is have a conversation with which with what we call above the line so just kind of consider vps or above we want them to lead with the unified platform story when they're talking to a vp or above within our persona base and here are the four stories that we want them to be able to tell around the unified platform to that executive they need to be land able to land that when they're doing the customer overview deck in the first meeting with that executive. It's like very, very specific. That really helps them take the strategy and turn it into execution. And again, then when we go to the managers, I can say, okay, every time that we're presenting this new customer overview deck to an executive, we should see them telling the unified platform story as an example. So you're, you're really able to um, close the loop from strategy to execution and, and use the insights to iterate.
0: I'm curious how you, how, let's say you've developed these four stories and, you know, someone has role played them and they've been documented. How do you actually test and or certify the reps as being competent in delivering those stories? And and I guess there's a, the, the other piece is, is there, is there a carrot or a stick involved to ensure that they're able to deliver those?
1: Uh, yeah, really, really good question. So I would say that for the first part, We think about equip, train, coach as kind of like the framework that we use in order to execute that. And I think your question is specifically kind of around the train area. And so we talk about learn, practice, demonstrate. And so that element of certification that you mentioned is the third one, demonstrating it. And this is a key piece, not demonstrating it just in a simulation, but demonstrating it. In this case, it would be a prospect because those are account executives, but in a prospect conversation. So practice is where you're doing role play, where you're doing simulation. Obviously, we use our own technology to do that. But then the demonstrate is then they're actually submitting a recording of them doing that with a prospect so that then we can check that box. To your second point, I think it's actually kind of a cultural question in some ways, and it actually depends on the initiative. So Some initiatives are like net new, like this one. This was new. This was a new thing for us to do, right? If you took something like a compete initiative, it's not necessarily new, but you might have new, you know, compete daggers or new talking points or whatever. So it's more of an evolution. When you think about the kind of the carrot or the stick for this one in particular, for unified platform, because it was new, we are quite frankly, selling to our sellers. We want to find those early adopters, the people that lean into it. We're not, They're not going to get in trouble per se if they don't do it today. Now, in six months or a year from now, that might be a different story because it's not going to be as new. But we're looking for those early adopters, those high performers, so that we can capture those best practices and amplify those across the team. The compete initiative, which is different, is you better be able to land those daggers. And if you're not, then your manager's going to have a coaching conversation with you. So it kind of like comes down to the is it new or is it an uplift and evolution and an initiative that already exists and you're making more of a micro change as opposed to a macro one?
0: I love the fact that they have to submit a recording with an actual prospect. I I think that's the first time I've heard that because so often the recordings are you sit in front of your camera and you probably record it three times trying it out. And then even then, you may or may not actually ever deliver that. So this is a forcing mechanism that you have to get strong enough to, to deliver that. When they submit that and it gets reviewed, does it get reviewed by your enablement team and or by the first line manager who's going to give them feedback?
1: Great question. Um it's certainly the first line manager and then enablement is a layer on top of that to pull out those best practices, but that's why we do learn practice demonstrate. So learn is like the training, practice is the simulation, demonstrate is the you actually did it with the prospect and then like show show us the work. Then once you finish that train kind of piece of the puzzle, you move into coach. And so then what we've done is we've enabled the managers on how to coach for that particular initiative, so like unified platform what things should be, they be looking for? What coaching tips can they give them? How should they do a deal review? What should it look like in their one-on-one? It's all those types of things. Then we actually leverage the technology and the managers to then say, show, show us enablement. What examples are that were great? What are ones that weren't so great? And so then enablement can go back and systematize and really scale out. Because the manager is not going to scale across more than a team of like 8 to 10, right? Enablement's job is to scale and drive consistent performance across the team. And so we take that back and then we scale it across the rest of the team, which is particularly helpful when you are doing something like a new initiative because you're not going to have 100% adoption of it right out the gate because it's something new and it's a huge amount of change management. That's really what I look at my team's role as at a very high level is driving effective change management. That's a big piece of of how we partner with the managers.
0: What do you do to to equip for example on on this type of initiative like your unified platform project?
1: It ultimately comes down to do the sellers have what they need in order to know what they're actually supposed to go and do. So like do they have the content and then in particular something that we focus very heavily on is do they have the play? Do they know what play they're supposed to go and run? And this goes down to, you know, the the specific audience. So The two questions that I always ask within Equip is, do I have the resources I need, the content? Do I know what to do and does it work? That's the guidance and that's what comes down to plays. So one of the things that's actually kind of interesting about this is that historically in enablement, there hasn't been anywhere for the company to write down what they want their reps to do as it relates to something like an initiative or behavior. If you kind of use the analogy more in the product world product management brings together engineering, design, product teams, and they write a product spec. Like, here's what the product does. Here's the value that it's going to deliver to our users. Here's the product spec. There isn't an equivalent or hasn't been rather an equivalent of that on the revenue side. And that's where the equip piece really comes down to writing the plays. What do you want your reps to know, say, show, and do? Write it down. And that's the thing that not only you can deliver to them, but you can also analyze. And so for us, we actually analyze all of the equip, train, coach elements through looking at the scorecard of a particular play. So that's where we we write down that equip component.
0: I was looking back at your at your profile, and I put two two things together. One is there, there have been a, a bunch of posts. I'm on LinkedIn way too much. I've been a, a bunch of posts lately about how to get into SaaS sales, right? Of like what kinds of backgrounds are best for that transition. And I even had someone, a friend of mine asked me recently, she just became a manager and she needs to hire people. And she, you know, she works for a, they're an information services company, but they sell much more SaaS-like. And she said, I have this gut instinct that hiring people who come from SaaS is better than hiring people who come from services or elsewhere. I'm curious your take.
1: So for me, um, respectfully, I would disagree with with the, um, the person that you spoke with. Um, I think that if you do not have the resources or strategy on how to onboard and, you know, ramp someone up effectively into the industry, then yes, it's easier to potentially easier to take someone from, you know, a similar type of sales process or sales role or go to market approach and, you know, kind of rip and replace. The reason that I kind of um, would push back against that is, Something that I'm particularly passionate about is not just hiring someone within our organization, but I really want them to be able to grow and thrive and build their career within our organization. And so when I remember, you know, when I was hiring our first 5, 10, 15, and now, I don't know, I think I've hired probably 350 or 400, you know, ADRs over the course of the past couple of years, maybe even more, but... I'm interviewing, thinking about what their third job is going to be, not what their first job is going to be. What's their third? What's their fourth job? And I think that there are certain attributes that people have. Whether you are in SaaS sales, whether you are, you know, like you mentioned, I was, you know, selling vitamin water in the back room of a grocery store when I worked at Coca Cola. I was selling, you know, leases when I was in commercial real estate. And there are certain things like coachability, competitive nature, being able to, you know, problem solve, critical thinking. Um, having grit, those things that are harder to teach, um, I can teach you how to sell fast. Like that's like, <laughs> I've got a playbook for it. Like we we can teach you how to do that. You know, I can't teach you how to like, you know, really, really hone in that um, competitive nature, right? Like you either have that or you don't. That's kind of, you know, how how I think about it. But I do think that if you do hire from outside industries, you know, I have recently hired several people that came from, you know, one person that I knew even from the restaurant in, you know industry that does require that you have a really good plan on how to set them up for success in their role. And so that is something that is absolutely critical and has been something that I've always really prioritized um, in my role at High Spot.
0: Maybe you should, in, in addition to coachability, critical thinking, grit, and competitiveness, maybe there's something around patience too, although it's, it's tough.
1: Resilience and optimism, is it's kind of together in that when something tough happens, Not just how do you handle the situation, but how do you view the situation? You can look at it in a pessimistic way or in an optimistic way. And I think that that's so critical in sales in general and in particular in this role.
0: Well, you you have the fortune of being responsible for... A number of different things there at Highspot. Uh, we talked a little bit about enablement. I'd love to talk about account development slash sales development. And I let someone get into my head, which is uh, this guy, Nelson Gilliatt, who wrote a book called The Death of the SDR. And I've been, I've just been thinking about it and talking to other people. His position is that the predictable revenue model has gone too far and that we should not separate all these roles, but is including and not limited to SDR and AE. Maybe just ask this a slightly different way, which is like, under what circumstances would you get rid of SDRs in an organization? Like under what circumstances do SDRs not make sense to you?
1: So let me maybe answer that and then I can kind of give my perspective on the topic overall. It's something I'd say I'm pretty passionate about. Um, So I would say that I could maybe see getting rid of that role in a highly, highly, highly transactional sales process with a very, very short sales cycle. I'm talking like, you know, under a month maybe even you know under two weeks. What's the why behind that? Thinking about the overall prospect and customer experience being handed off in that short of a timeframe. In addition to that, I would say that it's probably the case that you're asking the AE to do less in the sales process if it's a very high velocity, very short sales cycle than you would at you know a company where the sales cycle is 12 months. Therefore they can take on more bandwidth of something like prospecting. If it's a 12-month sales cycle, no, that's not where I want to spend, you know, that person's time, money, resources. I do think, though, that, you know, to this topic overall, when you say things like, You know death of the sdr i think it's really important to define what you mean when you say an sdr and something that you know back to what i mentioned um how i kind of approached our go to market in a very different way when it came to high spot is that we actually define what the sdr does in a little bit of a different way than what i've seen at most companies now i'm sure there's other companies doing something similar but our adrs take it further down the sales process so they conduct the first discovery themselves they are on the call, on the first demo with the AE, and then they're actually continuing to do multi-threading after that account has been qualified. So I think it's important to define that. Maybe if he's defining that as a person that is prospecting and just scheduling the first meeting and then their hands are off of it, I could maybe get on board with that. But I wouldn't say it's the death of the role. I think that it's a modification to the definition of the role. The reason that I think you can't eliminate the role entirely is that it's, it's a critically important people pipeline engine. I mean, I would say about 75% of our AEs have come up through the account development function. In our organization, we've had ADRs go into services, AM, AE, sales engineering, enablement, operations, marketing, all areas of our business. And that's an area where people can discover where their skills lie. We can discover where their skills lie. And if they don't end up being a good fit for the organization, it's better for us to find you know that out sooner rather than later but ultimately i think it helps us get them down the right path in a faster way and you wouldn't be able to do that if you didn't have that role
0: yeah and I, I think there are two things that are insanely difficult for cfos to quantify who are looking at that as well as others one is absolutely the people pipeline aspect the second one is also difficult to quantify is that one can consider the sales development function hyper targeted marketing right so you could be spending that money on you know broadcast or even narrowcast social marketing and retargeting even that narrow cast marketing is not the most efficient way to market whereas if you have SDRs right engaging prospects that that over time does build up a flywheel effect of recognition that when the person is actually in the market then they're more likely to you know to go with to go with your company I, I did want to double-click on one other thing that you said, which is that your one of the roles of your ADRs is to then do the multi-threading after the opportunity is created. One of our customers just asked me about that yesterday. How do, Should I, they were asking, provide explicit incentive? So should I pay for like those additional meetings, or should that just be embedded as part of their job and an expectation as part of their job? I'm, I'm curious how you handle that.
1: I would say that... I absolutely think that it needs to be part of the comp plan 100% um, I think you can then get into a conversation do you comp on the first meeting on the conversion of that it depends on your sales cycle and blah 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 a bunch of other factors but I absolutely we actually treat you know an SQL that is within an already qualified account the same as a, a net new one where there isn't an opportunity as an example you know you have to make sure that the right financial rewards are there, like that's critical. It can't be, you know, off, but it's more for that team about them being able to hit their goals, right? So it's setting the goals in the right way and making those attainable, making those fair and making them representative of the work that they're putting in. Because if you think about the key motivator, at least in our organization for the person in this role, it's taking the next step in their career,
0: would you go so far, and this is actually another thing from that book, which is, would you go so far as to eliminate variable comp and just make it a salaried position?
1: No, because I think that they need to, um, it is a training ground, if you will, for what it looks like to be in sales. And I think something as simple as um, understanding how to manage your pipeline is really, really critically important to learn and for us to understand if someone can do that effectively, if they're going to be successful in the sales role. And if you do not have a variable comp, then you know, you're less incentivized to manage your pipeline effectively. And so I think that's really important. Now what I do think is that it should be less leveraged than, you know, what what you'd be in, in an AE role, but but it should be leveraged.
0: Interesting. And and I did a poll on LinkedIn not too long ago and I asked people, would you rather have like a fixed comp plan or a 50-50 comp plan? And then there was another one today I saw that someone did and all those are basically saying that at least people who are currently salespeople obviously strongly prefer the kind of 50-50 comp plan because it gives them the ability that you know, everyone believes they're going to over-earn even though, you know, less than 50% of people actually do hit quota these days, but at least they 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 want to have that hope. And and there it's maybe a self-fulfilling prophecy that sales is currently attracting risk-seeking people, but the, you know, the behavioral economists out there would are, would be very 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 surprised by the ultimate result, but I think they would explain it away again as as like the risk-seeking folks
1: yeah, and I think that, you know, when, when you know, for the salespeople that are listening, I think a really important question to ask if you're interviewing at a company is, you know, what is what we call your participation rate? What percent of reps are hitting what percent of quota so that, you know, you have a good sense, you know, some organizations, it's, you know, 20% of the reps carrying 80% of the revenue, other are close to, you know, more standard goal, that's going to be 70 on 70. And that's an important question to ask to determine how big the risk is.
0: I think companies are doing themselves an incredible disservice, right, if they're not honest about the the answer to those those questions.
1: And I actually kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, we actually view participation rate as an indicator if there is strong enable strategic enablement at the organization. Because when I think about our enablement strategy, my goal is not to enable the person that is two hundred percent at quota. It's to take the people that are you know between fifty and eighty percent and help them get above that line. So. If we have consistent rep performance measured by participation rate, then that shows that we have a well-oiled revenue engine, we have strong enablement. And so I really do think that these things come together. And so I'm constantly looking you know, at our rep attainment dashboard and looking at what percent of our reps are hitting what percent of attainment. And then we focus our enablement strategy in those and, and thus our overall go-to-market strategy in those, those areas.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you one final question before I let you go, which is, and, we, and this is just going to like whet the appetite, but since we won't be able to drill into it, but so, so we talked again about enablement. We've talked about account slash sales development. You also are responsible for ops and analytics. What's the number one thing that's on the top of your mind uh, from a strategy point of view in RevOps right now?
1: Oh, God, so many things. I would probably say that On the analytics side, one of the things that I'm thinking deeply about is, interestingly, how you enable the organization to draw actionable insights from the analytics that we're building out. That's one thing that I think a lot of organizations miss. They get analytics to the very senior leaders in the organization, but they haven't enabled the rest of the organization on how to leverage those insights to optimize their business. And so I'm kind of bringing the enablement background into the analytics world to to really make the analytics more actionable. I think from the operations standpoint, I think that, um, you know, this has kind of been around for a while where there's just so much technology. But I think that where we're at today from an operations standpoint is how do you bring the B2C experience into um, what you deliver from an operational standpoint to, you know, your organization and how do you make sure that the user experience is there, that the, you know, service and support is there, that the insights are there, all of those things that people would expect from a B2C experience and making sure that um, it's not old, clunky, outdated, but it's very efficient, effective and streamlined. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, as I said, we would only only wet people's interest on on those things. Uh, so just to, to close out, thank you so much. We covered a lot of ground today. If people do want to get in touch, I see you have a we're hiring on your LinkedIn profile. So if people want to be able to join Highspot or join your team, I would presume they can message you on LinkedIn?
1: Absolutely. Or just connect in general on, on any of the topics that we've discussed. I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn.
0: Brilliant. Thanks so much, Haley, for being on.
1: Thank you, Jeremy.
0: Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.